0: Over the past few months, as a church, we've been looking diligently at Paul's letter to Timothy, navigating through the instruction and the direction that Paul aimed to give Timothy and the church at Ephesus, where he served, to help them, to shepherd them, to guide them. And we've seen, as we've walked along, listening and, and, and reading and contemplating all that Paul has instructed... We've seen, as the Lord has ministered to us here in Gilbert, 2,000 years later, thousands and thousands of miles away, ministering to us in this ancient document. We've seen the different practical ways that the Lord aimed through this text to help us as a church how to understand and how to think about life together as a church. And all of this comes down to that main point that we've said over and over and over again. Hopefully some of us uh, at some point will never forget that the aim of the letter, the aim of every piece of 1 Timothy is to help us to know what it is to behave In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. If we recall recall that phrase, the household of God, I think we are potentially able to miss what he's getting at. And And I'm stopping here before we get into the text because I want us to have a context for how we think about this as we move forward. Paul is not worried about a home. He's not worried about a building. He's not worried about a house. He's worried about a family. That is the people of God, those who are in the household of God for all time, and here we are with them together, and we are to know what it is to be a part of the family of God. Are you following me? So what does that mean? What does that look like for us today in Center Church? Again, thousands of miles away, 2,000 years later. What does it look like for us? Outside of the few hours that we're actually boots on the ground on this property. Whether you're in Queen Creek, or you're in Mesa, or Chandler, or you're at work, or wherever. or Wherever it is. What does it look like to behave in the household of God all over the world, wherever we are, all the time. We need to consider this. We need us to go into the text today and the rest and to know this is not for how you do the hallway between vehicle and pew. You you get me? This is not about what it looks like to come and to do Awana on Mondays or to go to small group on Thursdays. This is everything. This is about life as the people of God. And so as we consider this, keep that in mind. Rack your brain. Lord, ask the Lord, help me to see in my own heart what this means and where this goes in all of life. Please. Please. Let's look today as this passage helps us to understand what it means to hold that truth up in the face of temptation that life brings and the weaknesses that we will see in the family. Follow me in chapter 6, starting at the end of verse 2. Paul says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He is an unhealthy he has an unhealthy cravings that for controversy and for quarrels about words which produces envy, dissension, slander. Evil suspicions and constant frictions among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich "...fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness." godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith and take hold of the eternal life in which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in in His testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light and whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we face this text, I feel very much like the wrong guy to be up here. There is much to be said here, Lord, and it is all from You. And I pray, I pray, Lord, that You would first do a work in all of us as Your people, that You would, Holy Spirit, move through the text, that the text would preach to us, Lord, and we would be transformed. Point out in each of us, Lord, what this means to live and to be Your people in all of life, that we would break down the walls that some of us have built, partitioning our lives, that we are this way with those people or this way at that place, and we would look and see what it is to follow You, Jesus, in all of life. Help us. Encourage our faith. Show us where we must be changed, Lord, and we pray that You would give us the faith to trust You for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If we look at our text, there's a lot. I know that, alright? You're probably thinking, when's this guy going to stop reading? This thing's going on for days, and I, I, it's not lost on me, I promise you. But I think there is for us this morning some very big Uh, There's a lot of fruit. There's some big things for us that we could potentially miss if we look at the size of the mountain. If we see all that is to be scaled here, we could lose track of the fact that the Lord has a couple really amazing things for us to grab onto and to look at and to see that there is much to be had in this passage. And that is first this. When we receive the teaching of the Lord Jesus through the Apostle Paul in 1st Timothy okay we must know first as the text says this is the teaching of the Lord Jesus this is Jesus's words for us and so when we look at it we must understand that there is two ways at least that the apostle will present for us that we can respond there's two ways, and as we read through all of that, you'll notice a lot of space goes to the first way. We can oppose. We can disagree. And we can have our own self-insight. And we can work against the intent and the mission of the cross. And we can be in opposition of Christ. That's how Paul lays it out. Or we can follow the direction, the instruction to be faithful. You see, these two primary things are laid out before us. And just like Moses in Deuteronomy where he says, I have set before you life and death, our challenge today is to go forward hearing the text and to choose life. To choose life. And so as we go forward, as we look and we go at this, we need to understand that we must be a people first fixed on Jesus, but also faithful to the end. And in doing so, when we read through the text, we will see there are two primary realities. Another, another two that we need to keep our eyes on as we push towards that faithful life. That life of perseverance. That life of being fixed on Jesus. The first is is we must keep our eye on the opposition. Look at the text with me. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited and understands nothing. And he has unhealthy cravings for controversy, quarrels, all of these things. We need to understand that when folks disagree with the Scripture, the Word of God, that we have a very clear picture that this is not a disagreement with popular opinion. Are you following me? This is not a disagreement. This is not a debate with what really is true or not true. Remember, we are the people of God meant to uphold the truth. Be a buttress of truth. And the first thing that we need to understand is what is provided to us in the Scripture are the very words of Christ. So, as Paul sees it and shows us, these folks are in opposition, not with popular opinion, but with Christ Himself. Do you see that? And that is meant to get our attention. It is meant to grip us and cause us to tremble. Because when you read through this, as we will again, you know so often we find ourselves notching some of those things off are you with me (laughs) it's too true this is how we have looked often and what we see and understanding that they oppose christ is that there is a massive danger both to them and to us as the church and i do not think i do not think in fact i'm convinced That when we think and read about this and think about what Paul has in mind, he is not, like many of us right now, thinking about all of those on CNN. You know what I'm talking about, right? He is not thinking about all of those who have some slightly different views about politics or whatever. He is thinking about those who are inside of these walls. Those who have dined with us, who have served with us, who have ate with us, who have done all manners of experience in the church with us, and He is knowing that there are some, there are some, awful, it, is, it is, ter- is a terrible thing to think about, but there are some that believe that as in the church, that all's there is, all's there is to being in the family of God is waving the banner. Showing up to the right places, saying the right things, buying the right books, doing the right things. You you guys, you see this, right? And there is very, very little heart-bound loyalty to the Lord Jesus Himself. This is a terrible and a tragic thing, but this is the reality because like all of us, like all of us, this, this is the kind of disruptive thing I think that we all need to stop really quick and think about. When you read about these folks, you hear he calls them those who disagree with his teaching, right? But what does he go on to describe? He's talking about lifestyle. He's talking about your boots on the ground, what it looks like every single day. This is the kind of stuff that that flashing neon sign that says, this, uh, this folks, these guys, th- bad fruit, not good things going on here. You, sorry, my bad English. That's what he focuses on here. The crazy thing about it is, like I said before, many of us, many of us, have been saved from this. So when I say that there are many potentially well, not many, but potentially some that are within these walls that have a completely corrupt idea of what it is to trust in Jesus or to be in the household of God. There's two things that we need to think about almost immediately. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank You, Lord, for rescuing me from that kind of wickedness. The kind of stuff that You read in Ephesians 2 where we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And that ought to cultivate in us an immense amount of gratefulness, thanksgiving, and praise to the Lord for doing something radical like changing our hearts so that we no longer oppose Christ. Do you know that? Do we know that? Are we a people marked with this branding that says where we were saved from, what we came from. Trans from, transferred from what? The kingdom of darkness. Right, Trey? That's all of us. There's no one in here, just like last week. I hate to hate to bust anyone's bubble in here, but we all come from junk. We all come from junk. And so when we look at those who oppose Christ, we must look at them first with an eye that says, Thank you, Jesus, that you have rescued me. And the immediate response after that is, Lord God, please rescue them. Do a work in them. Save them too. And it seems very clearly that he gives some very distinct instruction later on in the passage of where that comes from. So we are to see and understand the opposition, and we are to know what it is, and call it what it is, and identify it, and be aware of it. Secondly, we must be aware to, well, we should be guarded, to not be tempted by it. To not be tempted by it. You see, in that, the Apostle Paul goes in and he is explaining how so easily those who are in this mindset who are very self-centered in their thinking and desire to know something and knowing nothing, they go and they sort of wrangle up or they get together, folks, to sort of build up their own castle, their own ideas, and help them to feel as though they are in some way right or something, knowing, though, that they are not. And many are often uh, uh, distracted and caused to stumble, as we see here in the text. These unhealthy cravings for controversy and quarrels and all of these things, it produces a bad kind of fruit. And so we need to be aware of it and be aware so that we are not ourselves tempted by it. I think, I think again, when we think about the temptation that's available is also in the sense that we all, I think just our culture, this individualistic culture that we come from, has some sees some kind of virtue in being able to sort of kick and test the tires on everything that we look at. Like, oh, I just want to make sure for myself this is legit. And that's okay. That's okay. But what what comes from this is that when folks like this who do not they, they that reject the word of God and they come with our questions we sometimes very cautiously, or, or not cautiously, treat these things as though it's okay. It's part of the process, not understanding that they are in direct opposition of Christ. And we're tempted to entertain these things. It's difficult, it's troubling, and it's dangerous. Lastly, we are tempted often to join to join with these folks in the way that they perceive godliness. Um, There is a huge danger in this temptation. Many of us are here looking to achieve something. We're here because we want something. It could be any number of things. But it's interesting that the false teachers are pointed out as seeing godliness not as an end in itself, right? But a means to an end. I want you to think about your engagement with the church, the local church. How often are we, in, I, I think this is the easiest thing in the world for us to fall into. I want somewhere to go where I like the music. I like the women's Bible study. I don't like that church or I don't like this church, but I like this one because they make me feel this way. And there is this constant... I mean, these are just like small, off-the-hip kinds of things. But I want you to think about that. Many of us look at our faith, our walk, and it is merely, merely a means to get what it is that we're after. That does not have to be money. Do you realize that? In fact, I would say... In fact, for us, I would even go so far to say that money and the temptation for money is probably the least on most of our category. It's probably more like, I got to be heard. I need a podium. I need to go somewhere where I can do this. I want to do this. I want to promote this thing that I care about. And we use our interaction with others in the faith. We function in the church simply to do one thing, and that is to get where we want to go. And it wouldn't matter if it was here, or somewhere else down the street, or next door, whatever. Do you see the danger here? When that is our mindset, when that's the way you come through the doors, it doesn't take anything to cause division. It just takes your thing to fall apart. It just takes somebody saying no. It just takes that opportunity that you want not to happen. And all of a sudden, this fruit just starts popping up like it's spring. That, that is the central core, the root of what's wrong in the false teacher in this picture. They think about me. Me. They're worried about themselves, they want what they want, and they're going to leverage and manipulate and do whatever it takes to get what they want. And all of us always, always are in danger of falling into that pit. And that's how he describes it. He describes this desire, this desire to... Get something, right? Which he uses in this particular case It happens to be wealth or money. He's using it and he's describing it to say this is a trap set for yourself. This is a pit that you will fall into and the only end result. Know the end result, folks. Know the end result of opposition. It is death and destruction and many, many pains. Sermon is kind of a bummer, isn't it? (laughs) It's kind of a bummer. (laughs) But this is here for us. This is the amazing thing about the Scripture, is that this is something written to Timothy for our benefit. And so, even though I'm very sorry it's a bummer, again, youth pastor, right? So you can just forget about it. It's okay. Uh, uh, No one will hold that against you. But, uh, this is there for our benefit. So we know the end of all of these things is destruction. But I want to hit pause. We just spent a lot of time singing. And over and over again I noticed that we sang over and over that we have been rescued by the blood of Christ. The end of these things is absolutely destruction. Absolutely. And these folks are absolutely in opposition with Christ. But I'll tell you what, there is nobody, there is nobody that rescues folks in opposition who goes across enemy lines and rescues folks and turns them around and brings them over into the family like Jesus Christ. And folks, that is all of our story. We must look at this text and, yes, be cautious and be fearful that this is true and this is happening. Keep an eye on it, but we must know that we come and preach a gospel that conquers all, even those blatantly opposed to Christ. And that's what happened. And that is, I mean, imagine the Apostle Paul writing this. The Apostle Paul, out for blood hunting folks down, dog the bounty hunter in the ancient world, coming and looking for Christians, kicking over rocks looking for them, and who stops and disrupts the system? Jesus. Why do you persecute me? And someone who had blood in their teeth and the smell of Christian martyrs on their nose is suddenly smelling the most amazing aroma of the glories of Christ. Is your gospel, the gospel that we hang on to, the one that we trust in, the one that we say is ours, the one that we put on our sleeve when it's necessary, maybe not when it's always necessary, is that gospel big enough, great enough, amazing enough, true enough to save even those folks? It is. So... As we move out of understanding the opposition, we must remember we keep an eye on it. We know it's there. We're aware of its danger. We know what it is. And we do not want to be tempted by it, but we pray and we evangelize and we do all that we can hoping and knowing and trusting that Jesus saves folks like that all day long. All day long. Secondly, when we think, we think about uh, 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 what it is to be faithful. We must keep our eye on the opposition, and then, secondly, we must keep our eye on the horizon. As you, as we, we've moved through a lot of text. I know. I'm sorry. At verse eleven, Paul interrupts the entire story, and he says, "But you, O man of God," this is where I get this comparison. He says, "Flee." from these things. Don't do those things. Run away from them. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. In other words, walk and live and pursue the, the fruit that only comes from where? From the Spirit. From God. The same God the same God who can change them, walk and live in the reality that we too have already been changed, are being changed, and walk in it. Flee the temptation of the evil one and walk in. Go after that fruit. Fight the good fight of the faith. I, I came across this, and I've got to be honest with you, I, I, would, I, we've all heard this, right? This is probably on a few coffee mugs in this room, uh, or at least that some of us have, and certainly on a bumper sticker, and I'm guessing at least one of us has a plaque that says, fight the good fight. Right? But I think about this. Paul is charging Timothy to do something that many of us don't have an eye for. Some, your leaders, have to go and fight in a real way through this kind of stuff. This is the life of serving the Lord. It is fighting when it is necessary. It is going and going to battle and doing what it takes to honorably work and defend the Gospel and to move to promote the Gospel. And Paul here seems to know that Timothy, this is going to happen You're going to find people in the church that are like this, and it's going to require some rolling up of the sleeves, and you might even take some licks. But don't give up. Fight. So if you don't know, this is the normal life. This is the normal Christian life, to fight when necessary. And I am not talking. (laughs) I am not talking on your keyboard. some of us need to throw our keyboards away even on your phone that is not fighting the good fight that's being puffed up that is not communicating the gospel that is bringing something to somebody that's gonna fail every single time we fight we go head-to-head, and we swing not with, I'm better than you, I know more than you, you don't know the facts, that's not how we do it. What do we do it with, folks? They will know you by your love. We go to battle with those who oppose Christ over and over and over again and we face them with the kind of confidence that comes only from the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And that's how you fight. So what can we do? We are a people that when we have our eyes on the opposition, and we have our eyes on the horizon we we go after and we push hard into the rest of life knowing that when the fight comes we put, we put up our dukes and we swing until we can't swing anymore and Paul is clearly showing here Timothy where he says I want you to do this. You are going to fight this, right? And I am charging you now. I am charging you in front of God and Jesus. I love this. I love that Paul does this. He says, "Who in the pre- okay? Where, where is it right here? It says of Jesus, I charge you in the presence of God and who gives all life to all things, and of G- and Christ Jesus, who in His testimony before who Pontius Pilate made the good confession." Why does He say that? Who's the last dude Jesus talks to before things get really bad? Pontius Pilate. (laughs) This is the model. No matter what comes, the difficulty that comes, He's charging Him before God and before Jesus. Not only Lord of all, but the One who Himself modeled to us What it was to stand and to not give an inch even in the face of the cross. That's our model here, folks. Keep the commandments. Unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I said we go down swinging, this is what I was looking at. We are people that will pursue faithfulness, and go until the end. Fighting the good fight. Grasping after the eternal life the which we have and that we go down swinging because it is not over until He says it's over, folks. And I promise you, this right here, this moment right here, that's what we want to be doing when He comes. Pushing through, enduring, suffering, fighting the good fight, going after eternal, eternal life. When Jesus appears, and He says, alright, that's it. We're done. It's over. Then everybody will see. Everybody will know. And whether you are walking in the, in the way of the opposition, or you are walking in the way of faithfulness, it will, <laughs> there will be no question whatsoever. And Jesus will come, and the lines will be clear. And this this great event will justify so much. Every fight that is fought, every straining lunge towards godliness, every difficult encounter with a sinful brother or sister, every neglect- neglected temptation, every dollar not chased, every word of encouragement, every early morning prepping of the preschool room, every self-sacrificial act of service, every biting of tongue and patience, all of it, all of it will be justified at the sight of Christ's return. So, church, to be a people that remains fixed on Jesus and faithful to the end, that's our hope. We, by the power of the Spirit and faith and the grace that He will deliver us, We push, and push, and push, and we fight, and we go after the fruit that He will give us, all knowing that it will not be in vain. If you are in the opposition, it is quite a terrifying thought to imagine the return of the Lord Jesus, the one you oppose. But again, I plead with you. It doesn't have to be. You see, what we teach, what we communicate, what we all hang ourselves on is the fact that none of us has not come from that camp. We have all come from a place of opposition to Christ. All of us. Whether young or old, it does not matter. He changes us. Trust Him. Call out to Him. Put your faith in Jesus today. Not because it's convenient and it helps and it will get you down the road towards what you want, but because the best possible thing that you could ever imagine in this world, all that will ever be thought of or produced or uh, uh, combined in effort across the globe, nothing will ever compare to the beauty and the glory of Jesus as we see Him in all majesty as He comes and returns. There's nothing that will compare and that is the joy and the hope of the believer, the household of God. That is what gets you through the stuff that is awful. That is what helps you through those moments of difficulty where temptation is a hot breath on your neck And you need to push through and you just don't know. You can look to the horizon and you can know Jesus is coming. This will not be... This temptation is not all there is. And Christian, you know this, but when we face the temptation from the opposition, we hope in the same thing. We look to Jesus. Right? We look to Him and we know and we see He is coming again and His beauty is unmatched and He is making us new. And that slight momentary thing, that rock in your shoe that you're having a hard time with, He's working it out. He is He who began a good work in us will be completing it until that day. So we can look not only to know that we get to behold Jesus in glory and not in shame, but know that He is working out our salvation even now and then it will be perfect. And I tell you, I don't know what you guys think about this, but to me, that's pretty great. Because I could be a pretty crummy jerk sometimes. And to think about today, that not only do I get to see Jesus, but at the same time, new creation. That's awesome. That's good stuff right there, folks. And that is our hope. That is our hope. So what does it look like for us? Full circle. We keep our eye on the opposition. Knowing what it is. And we push forward in life. All of life. We know that Jesus can change them. We know that Jesus has conquered all sin and death. And we keep our eye on the horizon and we push forward. And when we hit the bumps or we see the mountains, we endure because we know he's coming and we know what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord I know you are all powerful and uh, Lord I pray that we'd be reminded of that as we try to work through uh, just the last few minutes Lord and thinking about what's been said and what we've considered Lord I pray uh, that you would make it very clear in all of our hearts what you want us to know and walk away with Lord, I pray that you would help us where the difficulty is, Lord, if it's discerning and understanding which one of those two camps we fall in. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten us to know and that you would, in either case, direct us in faith, Lord, that we would lean to you again in faith, trusting that whether we need to go back to the cross and to look and be reminded, Lord, or if we need to go to the cross even for the first time and be washed. I pray you would help us. Jesus, please, uh, we need you always, every, every day, and I pray that you'd help us, and we pray these things all in your name. Amen.